to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding die. Romans 8:18. One of the richest maybe the most informative passages in all of Scripture that helps us understand uh, the future of this creation. Certainly a centerpiece in any theology concerning creation. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Amen. God bless the reading of His Word. I'm going to uh, go to prayer, and I want to, in our pastoral prayer this morning, I'd like to uh, remember this, the fact that uh, yesterday was the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and we're 40 years uh, almost into this situation in which now 50 million babies have been uh, killed through abortion. And so I'd like for that to be the focus of our, our prayer this morning as we pray also for uh, the Word of God, that, that He would bless it. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we come to You as Lord of heaven and earth. We come to You as the God who is inscrutable in His ways. Lord, we struggle at times with the sin of this world, the suffering of this world, what man has become in so many ways, what, what each of us has done ourselves, our personal rebellion and our community rebellion, our combined rebellion throughout the history of this world, Lord, it manifests itself in so many ways. We long for the day of which we have sung that you will dwell among us and you will remove the curse completely from this world. And you will, Lord, bring us into a new world of your making, which 
all sin, personal, individual, between people, corporately, community, everything, all is gone. And there is a perfect world, a perfect love forever and ever. This is our hope, Lord. This gives us sanity in the midst of so much that happens in this world. Daily, our hearts are grieved. And we identify with Lot, who said was in agony every day. Suffering caused the sin that surrounded him. Lord, we suffer thinking of even our own sin and wanting to be completely free of sin. And we suffer thinking of all that has gone on in this world that continues to. And one of them, Lord, is this abandonment of children in our society. The abandonment of the support of women. The mistreatment of women and children. Uh, We think of the fact that most every woman, so the statistics tell us, would avoid abortion if they had the support and love that they need from others. Lord, we, we pray that you would remove this from our nation. We pray, Lord, thanking you for the continuing work on behalf of children and the inroads that even now are being made. Lord, we, we thank you for the encouraging signs, even in the last year or two, for the, the arguments and the, the pleas for the unborn to be heard more and more in more ways. Lord, we thank you for the work of Pregnancy Lifeline and so many like it that have rescued thousands upon thousands of children and given women the dignity of that choice. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bring this issue to our hearts and minds that each of us will be relentless in our prayers, that we will seek your throne constantly for these children, that we all will, Lord, advance life in every way possible through our own ministries of love, through our own deeds of giving ourselves and spending ourselves for those uh, who are desperate. Lord, we, we pray for those who even here may have participated in one way or another. And Lord, we pray that these will come to you and know your forgiveness even as all of us in the very same way must receive forgiveness. Lord, we all stand before you guilty. We all stand before you undone. We all stand before you, every one of us, having broken all of your law, as James says. None of us can plead any part of your law that we have not broken. And so we pray that these will stand alongside us and receive that forgiveness through Jesus Christ and know your full favor in Christ. And Lord, that they will give themselves up to life in this world and in hope of the life to come. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we come to this portion of your word which speaks of the renewal of creation. Bless us, Lord, that we will live in that hope that we will have a new appreciation, Lord, for our bodies, for this world, for what you have made, that we are not looking to escape from it, but we are looking to see it renewed and restored to its former beauty and glory. 
We're looking to see ourselves restored as the true kings and queens of the earth who would rule this earth and and bring and use this earth for the glory of God and not for our own purposes as man has done down to this day. Bless us, Lord. Reveal your glory. Show us yourself, King Jesus, for we ask it in your name. Amen. We, uh, if you have the handout, uh, try to let you know where we are in this study. We actually uh, went through Roman numeral one last week, focusing more on the what's happening to us uh, as the children of God. And I want to refer you to the backside that I've changed it up a little bit. The first two things are the same, but the last part. Just the emphasis that these passages give you on the actual transformation of our bodies. Lest we think that in that final day when we are changed that we somehow become non-bodily, you know, non-physical. That we are transformed into some kind of spirit angel-like person forever and ever. But no, God is out to see our very bodies transformed. And it's easy to see the goal of God for us because He took upon Himself flesh, bore our sins, died, and then was raised. But His resurrection was not like, say, the resurrection of Lazarus in John 11. Lazarus was raised to, we might say, a regular body. Okay, He was healed and he was no longer had the sickness that apparently he had that brought his death. But Lazarus was going to die again. But Jesus was raised to a new glorious body unlike anything that had happened up to that point. And he entered into uh, what Paul would say later is an imperishable body, a body of glory, a body uh, of, of power, and a body fully manifesting the Spirit. It's called a spiritual body. Not that it's not physical, but it's... It's conditioned by the Spirit and, and it shows forth the glory of God because it is so owned by the Spirit. And so what happened to Jesus was only for the purpose of taking our humanity to that place. Why else would he have become a human being? Why else would he die and be, be raised from the dead and then be called the first fruits of that that is to come? You see, the whole point was to be raised so that we would be raised in the same way. And as it says on the back there in the Romans 8 passage, well, and it's right here, of course, in our chapter, that he was, in verse 29, he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And firstborn refers to resurrection. So the... The, the, the love of God that was set upon us and His predestinating work, this plan that was uh, put into action so that it governs the history of this world, is this, interesting, that His Son would be the firstborn among many brethren. So the whole plan of the earth centers around that one thing, that He would be the firstborn of many brethren which even from the beginning then points to this final condition of the new heavens and the new earth 
where we would be raised, have our new bodies, and we would reign with Christ forever. It's the whole plan of the world from the beginning was that in the end, there would, he would have taken on flesh, taken our humanity to glory, and many, many would be brought to that place with him. So, last week we talked about that first part of it, the glory of the children of God. And as I give this flow of thought in this passage, that uh, he begins by saying how great the glory is, it far outweighs our suffering. It's so great, even the creation waits for it. And you might wonder, why is creation waiting for it? Because creation was subjected to futility in hope of this thing. From the beginning of creation, when uh, creation was subjected to futility and the curse of God, still it was done in the hope of the sons of God, this glory that I'm talking about. And creation groans for this, and we groan for this. So this whole passage, Paul is just trying to underscore and underscore and underscore the greatness of this glory on which the whole of creation is, is moving, to which the whole of creation is moving. It's the glory as Christ is revealed in that final day and we are revealed with him. So this morning I want to focus more on the connection then of creation to the children of God. Now in in Genesis, interestingly, we are taken from the earth, which may give us a little hint of our relationship to the earth, taken from the earth, and that we are given a responsibility in our relationship to God specifically for that earth. So as, as bearing his image, specifically he says, now uh, multiply, subdue the earth, and rule it. So our relationship to God has everything to do with our relationship to the earth. We're taken from the earth. We're told to rule the earth for God's glory. And most any commentator would say that what Paul is talking about is he says there in verse 20, creation subjected to futility was the curse of God pronounced upon the ground at that point. And you might wonder, well, why the curse on the ground? What's the connection here? Well, the connection is whatever happens to the king of the earth, man to rule under God so It will happen to the earth. So we're like this locomotive. And when the locomotive falls into the ravine, the whole of creation falls into the ravine with us as God pronounces that that curse. So we are intertwined. We are intertwined so that the curse of God comes upon us and the earth. And so at the end, the creation is waiting for the restoration of the children of God so that it can be restored. Just as it was subjected to futility because of us, it would be brought back to glory through uh, the children of God being brought back to glory. And also this word futility that's used in verse 20 recalls Romans chapter 1 in talking about the sin of mankind. It says in verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. And it earlier says that we did not honor him as God. We didn't give thanks to him as the creator, even though we we could see his glory all around us in creation. So it's the same word. The futility of man's thinking in 
not honoring God anymore and therefore not using creation for God's glory brought creation into a state of futility. So, as, as Romans 1 was talking about Adam, basically, it's, it's kind of re- rehearsing for us what happened in our sin against God. So now creation is seen to have been subjected at the same time. This word futility is, can be translated vanity or frustration. It's the ineffectiveness of that which doesn't attain its goal. The frustration of not fulfilling the purpose of its existence, not functioning like it was designed to do, like a a satellite that uh, malfunctions and is just spinning out of control. That's kind of the picture, that creation is subjected to futility. It's not being used as it was supposed to be used because creation was to be used by man to glorify God. And now it's got a role for which it was not designed because man doesn't recognize or acknowledge his creator. He only sees creation in terms of himself for his use and not as a trust from God. He sees creation no longer as a means of obeying and glorifying God. And so he misuses and abuses creation or he may deify creation and he makes it the end of his life. And he worships the creature rather than the creator, as it says in Romans 1. It's nature, capital N, you know. And so it's identified with God. But creation was meant to be a vehicle, a a thing in which we glorified God and honored Him in it. That was its proper role. And so since man fell into this futile and destructive existence of not glorifying God, creation is subjected to a similar futility. Isn't it amazing that that creation is is given this uh, glorious meaning that that is frustrated because of man? And, And it's personified here as groaning and just waiting for when it will be fully used by man the way it was intended, to the glory of God. Some ways we learn from creation in this as it's personified because it seems to be wanting the glory of God more than a lot of people do. Um, now, you, you see it says, not willingly. Creation was not a party to Adam's failure, but it was drawn into it nonetheless. So creation subjected to futility. Then he uses this phrase, bondage uh, to corruption, in verse 21. And the word bondage, slavery here is familiar in Romans because our salvation is spoken of in terms of liberty. In chapter 6, verse 18, we've been set free from sin. Verse 22, set free from sin. Or Romans 8, set free from the law. In Romans 7 and 8, set free from the, the condemnation of the law. And these are words that recall the Exodus, okay? The background is the Exodus, being set free from this enslavement in Egypt. And now we've been set free from sin and we walk in the freedom of a new fellowship with God. And so the word in verse 15 that says, We have not received a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of adoption. It's now spoken of here in terms of this freedom. 
And so the creation has its own exodus. The creation is being brought out of Egypt as well because the creation has been subject to an enslavement because of our sin. And as we are said to be delivered from corruption in 1 Corinthians 15, this body of corruption will take on a body of glory. Now creation will be delivered from its corruption, its decay, as it says in verse 21. And its freedom uh, consists in this glory that the children of God will receive. So as you and I, you know, you remember in the Old Testament, in a, in a sense, the people of God were always defined as the freedom from slavery people. I mean, never, it was always the backdrop of everything. Freedom from slavery. Even the law itself was given in that context. I'm the God who delivered you out of Egypt. I'm the God who has rescued you. And so creation will be the same. Creation uh, is that which has the freedom from slavery creation um, because the creation needs this redemption even as we do. And then he says that the creation hopes for, has an eager longing and even at the longing of childbirth, the pains of childbirth. So in hope it has, uh, it's been subjected in hope, verse 20. And then you have the, the groaning in verse 22. Uh, connected with the pains of, of childbirth. And again, this is the personification. You know, uh, They have this in the Old Testament, Psalm 65. The hills gird themselves with joy. In Psalm 98, the rivers clap. Okay, The hills sing. Uh, in Isaiah 24, the earth mourns. In Isaiah 55, the mountains sing and the trees clap. So uh, many times the scriptures bring the creation, uh, you know, and personified in this way. And so here's the creation longing and aching and groaning for this final uh, release. But the hope, it's interesting that creation's status is not by chance. It's, It's so deliberately set this way by God And it's not an end. If he subjected it in hope, it was always a stage from the beginning. The subjection to futility, the curse, was just a stage. Always in vision was creation finally restored to its environment for God's restored children. So I love that phrase in verse 20, subjected in hope. In hope that ultimately the new man, the new Adam, that is Jesus Christ, would liberate the creation from the consequence of the first Adam's disobedience. So Paul is saying even at the beginning of the curse of the first Adam's disobedience, there was the hope of the second Adam's restoration. Always hope from the beginning. That creation would fulfill the role for which it was intended. That this would not be the final word. God immediately did this in expectation and hope that there would be a restoration. So here's the sovereignty of God acting. And one commentator puts it this way, that it was intended to be subject to the last Adam in concert with his brothers. That is you and me. I love that. It's going to be subjected to the last Adam in concert with his brothers. 
And verse 29, you see, has that, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Firstborn to reign among many brothers. Firstborn to reign in the new creation among his many brothers that will reign with him. You think that's not uh, real? I'm, I'm always amazed, and I've said this before, that that phrase that's in Psalm 2 where he will uh, break the nations like a, uh, a pot with his rod of iron. That's said of his, well, his people in Revelation 2. That we will break the nations with the rod of iron. And you think, what? You know, really? You just think, this must be wrong. John, you were thinking, Jesus, right? Not us. Surely you had this wrong. But no, it's us. Because we join with him. We participate with him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we actually judge angels. Which, again, I, I, how can these things be said of us? They say things of us that we, we shudder to think that we would, how would we even do that? But we participate along with Christ. And so creation longs for this revealing of the second Adam, but in the second Adam, he will do this in concert with his, his brothers. So creation itself points forward to this new world where beauty and power will be magnified and where corruption and futility are completely and permanently removed from this world. Creation everywhere, Paul says, points to this hope, this groaning, aching for this day that will come. John Murray says, The curse is temporary, not ultimate. Hope conditioned the subjection and continues to condition the vanity. In other words, it was, it was surrounded by hope. Uh, you might say from the beginning, this will not last. This is not the final word. You could say hope set up shop the day God pronounced the curse on creation. Okay. Always hope. Always hope. There's never been a curse without hope, not for a second. And so the curse is a staging point for the fulfillment of hope, the context for hope, and it will vanish completely when hope's vision is realized. Talk about living in a world of hope, you know. Everything, you know. If you could go out and you could really talk to these, these gorgeous plants all around, which Gail has taken such a huge hand in, in creating this beauty, but if you could just go out and talk to one of those little flowers, it would say, Psst, it's coming. It's coming. The new creation is coming. I can't wait. You know, if you could hear, if, if they could talk. The whole of creation is buzzing as it groans and aches for that day. So the ultimate destiny of creation obviously is not annihilation. It's transformation. These are not death pangs, they're birth pangs. Very different, isn't it? Somebody's in agony and pain and, and you think, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. And then suddenly there's a baby's voice. You think, well, the birth pangs were terrible and they were horrible, but look at the issue. It's a baby, not someone dying. The earth is not headed for obliteration. Uh, and when it says that the whole creation together till now, it indicates creation in its entirety. 
Philippi uh, translated it this way, the entire creation as it were, or he, he uh, paraphrased it, it sets up a grand symphony of size, the whole of creation. So all of the groanings are just full of this promise of the new birth of creation. And then there's this word that he has, the eager longing, verse 19, for the revealing of the sons of God, waiting specifically for the children of God, eager expectation. In fact, it's interesting, though your translation here says the creation waits with eager longing, literally it reads like this, the eager longing uh, expects. So the eager longing is put as the subject. The eager longing can't wait. So it's a way in the original to underscore the full longing that creation has. And this word means to stretch the neck, to crane forward, straining forward eagerly to see what's coming. And that's why Phillips translated it and from which we get the title, creation is on tiptoe. Creation on tiptoe, just waiting. And redemption, of course, then, obviously embraces the whole material creation. And it does not leave creation out. And this this phrase where he says, revealing of the sons of God, and then uh, later it says, it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's so tied to what happens to them. You could paraphrase that. The freedom that's associated with the state of glory to which the children of God are destined. So that freedom associated with their glory, that's what creation is waiting for. That's when creation will experience its own full and final deliverance. Its release is contingent upon the glory given to believers. One commentator says it's kind of like a final curtain call when all the various actors are transformed from their characters to the real people and creation is the audience sitting there saying, who are these children of God? You know, just sitting there, can't wait to see who are these rulers over us? Who are these ones that are going to take us back to the glory of God, that are going to renew us and use us for the glory of God? Now we're incognito, right? But there is a revealing of us. What is revealed in that day is our status. It will be revealed because we will suddenly share in the glory of God. And this glory means a, a, a ruling. It means that we will share Messiah's rule over the world. And that's what creation is waiting for. Finally, creation will see its true rulers, a splendid reign, a splendid human existence. That's what creation is waiting for. I love how this author put it. God will send Jesus' younger siblings in the power of the Spirit to rescue the whole created order, to bring the justice and peace for which it yearns, the wise stewards we were meant to be. We will exercise through Christ a saving authority over all creation. God's agents in bringing the wise, healing, restorative, divine justice to the created order. So we will be actively involved in manifesting the real glory of God in the way now we will, in a, in a 
in a right way, subject and rule the world. And people have different ideas of what that will mean in terms of cultural production, in terms of um, technical production, architecture, etc. But we will be human beings made perfect, perfect relationships, no war, no abuse or hurt of one another, all of our resources dedicated to uh, fruitfulness in every way. Uh, and, and our relationships restored to perfect love. It's hard to imagine what the fruit would come from a, a worldwide community that is perfect like that. But that's why this, this whole talk about restoration of the earth, I just want to close with some uh, just a few words of application, a few words of what this means in terms of our thinking about uh, the afterlife. I've got two books. One is called Heaven is Not My Home, okay, making the point that ultimately going to be with Jesus is not ultimately my home. Or another one called Heaven is a Place on Earth. (laughs) And these are both provocative, of course, trying to get us to think about things in the right way. But as we've said before, the Christian hope spoken of throughout the New Testament is not the hope of dying and going to be with Jesus. As I said last week, Philippians 1, 2 Corinthians 5, a few places where it's talked about. But the Christian hope is always the resurrection of the body and the renewal of the earth. When Peter says in chapter 1, set your hope fully on the grace that you will receive when you die. No. Set your hope fully on the grace that you will receive when you die. No. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where you fix your hope. And that's fixing your hope past your death and your disembodied state to that final day, you see. That's shooting your hope all the way through that time that you will go to be with Jesus to that final time when Jesus will come. Paul and Titus 2, waiting for our blessed hope, not when we die to go with Jesus, but waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or, th- or think here in verse 20 when it says that creation was subjected to futility in hope. Think of it, how pointless it would be if he says, he subjected the creation in hope that the sons of God would one day die and go to heaven. You think, well, what good would that do creation, right? Creation subjected to hope that we would one day die and go to heaven. Well, if we all die and go to heaven, who's going to take care of the earth? You know, The earth has no hope in that. The earth has no expectation in that. That's not what creation needs. Creation needs the full restoration of its kings in the image of God to rule creation for the glory of God. That's what creation needs. So creation was subject in hope of its restoration. Hope is always tied to the coming of Christ the resurrection of His people, the restoration of creation. And of course, you have to ask, well, where do bodies live if we're going to be raised and we're going to have bodies? Where do they live? Well, not in heaven. We read there that there are spirits of men made perfect. Spirits, but there's no body there. Jesus' body is there in hope 
you know, of our bodies one day being made, uh, renewed. But our hope is a restored body with a restored earth. Michael Whitmer writes, We don't hope merely for the day when we go to live with God, but ultimately for that final day when God comes to live with us, as Jacob sang, of Jerusalem coming to us. God coming and making His abode with us. And when Jesus invited His disciples to touch His hands and feet and ate a piece of fish in front of Him, He was showing them that resurrection didn't obliterate His humanity. It restored His humanity from the ravages of sin. And He was participating in creation with His body. At that, and that was an, a symbol of our future life that would be repaired uh, it will repair our humanity. It won't remove our humanity. Now, I didn't know about this Sunday school song, but I read about it by one author. He says, there's a Sunday school song that goes like this. I don't know the tune, but uh, somewhere in outer space, God has prepared a place for those who trust him and obey. And then the chorus consists of a rocket countdown from 10 to blast off, at which point you jump into the air. So that's it. This is where God has. He has some place for us in space. And for a lot of kids, a lot of us, that's all we know. I don't know. We're going to live out in space somewhere. I don't know where it is, but we're going to blast off and be out there. Um, or the, the, uh, <clears throat> the hymn, I have heard this one, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And of course, if you're thinking about the sinful world of men, Yes, the world as under curse and plagued by human sin. Yes, we're passing through. But if you're talking about this earth, then really when you die and get to heaven, you could more accurately say, this is not my final home. I'm just passing through. Because it's not a one-way ticket. It's a round trip. Okay. <laughs> because we read in First uh, Thessalonians when Paul is dealing with those who are concerned, well, wait a minute, Jesus is coming and we're going to be resurrected. What about those who've already died? What's going to happen to them? He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. What's going to happen with them when Jesus comes? He's going to bring them with him. And when he comes, we're not going to precede them. We're going to have to stand aside, so to speak. We're going to have to be second in line. They will be first in line. They will be raised uh, from the dead. And then we will be transformed. He has that same order in 1 Corinthians. He says, they will be raised. We will be changed. Assuming Paul, if, if, if he came when Paul was still on the earth. <clears throat> so here's my version of this song. Um, you know the song, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. <clears throat> uh, when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Uh, now, you can understand this song in the midst of hardship and suffering, of course. Paul himself said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So there is a release from this world's sin and burden to go to be with Jesus, not to take anything away from that blessedness. And, and we can even expect, and, and even as Paul say, that would be better to go with, be, and be with Jesus. So not to undermine that, of course. But if we wanted to really, you know, give it the full, complete picture with 1 Thessalonians in mind, we might say this, I'll fly away, oh glory, but I'm flying back. <laughs> when Christ comes with those who are asleep, I'm flying back, <laughs> right? Um, 
Just to make the point, right? Just to make the point. You know, we are earthlings, <laughs> one is written. We're really made for this earth in a glorious way. We're made to rule over this earth. We're taken from the earth. We're made in His image to subdue the earth and rule it. When we sinned, the earth was cursed. When man's sin became nearly universal, the earth was destroyed with the flood. But because God's Son took on flesh and died and was raised to a new life, His resurrected humanity presently participates in ruling the earth now. Our humanity participates in ruling the earth. And so, as the new humanity goes, so the earth goes. And when our full humanity is restored, the earth will be restored. Praise God. This has implications that we'll probably look at some next week uh, as we move ahead for how we live our daily lives, how we think about everything that we do. Because we realize it's not, life is not divided into these spiritual things that are going to last and these unspiritual, physical, temporal things that aren't going to last, but everything is important. This is part of the doctrine of creation. Everything under God is important. And we live in fellowship with Him in the midst of it all. And I close just with this, that Jesus Christ, the only way He could bring us to that glory was to die in our place on the cross, to bear our punishment, which we deserve. Because we had relegated, we had turned away from our opportunity, our our blessedness of reigning under God. We had lost that privilege. And we were destined not to reign in earth, but to be removed from the earth, to be cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, never tasting anything good in relationship or in creation forever. That's what we deserve. And yet God in His grace sent His Son who bore all of that sin in His own body on the cross, all of the grief, all of the curse so that He would bring us back, so that He would restore us to fellowship with God. And in restoring us to fellowship with God, we're restored to each other and to this very creation. It is through Christ alone. He had to suffer to restore your humanity, to restore your rule in this earth. Blessed be God. Do, if you've never trusted Christ, trust Him. Depend upon Him. And don't think of salvation as this little thing of, well, we're going to read a few verses every day, we're going to just go to church one hour a week, and then the rest of your life is something else. No, it's all of life, it's all of creation, it's the whole future of the world is bound up in the cross of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we honor You that You would suffer that You would stand in our place, that You would restore us to our dignity as human beings, which we did not deserve, which we had forfeited because of our sin. We honor You, Lord, that You would join us to Yourself and not only bear our sin, but, Lord, because of our union with You, You take us to new life. You resurrect our bodies Bring us present transformation and then final complete transformation that even affects our whole being and our bodies and even affects the whole of creation. 
as we said last week, eye has not seen nor ear heard things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Lord Jesus, You freely give this to anyone who comes to You to trust You. You indeed are Lord of heaven and earth. You indeed are bringing this world to its final consummation as Lord of heaven and earth. And there is no Savior for anyone except You. No one who has died in the place of sinners. No one who's been resurrected to establish a new humanity. Oh God, You alone could have done it for us. And we marvel at Your amazing plan that involved even Your taking upon Yourself flesh to rescue us forever and ever. We praise You. Grant us faith to trust You all the more. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?